From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. Hi, I'm Bob Pavlovich. On today's show, we hear about the launch of a French-language newspaper from the media network Télé-Louisiane. We also hear why Catholic churches across the region are preparing to consolidate with other parishes or close their doors entirely. But first... Governor-elect Jeff Landry is preparing to take office, and so far his team has some familiar and some surprising faces. The Times-Picayune, the Advocate's editorial director and columnist, Stephanie Grace, joins us now to break down this team. Stephanie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Incoming Governor Jeff Landry starting to put his team, his administration together. Any noteworthy hires so far? Well, there was a big one this week, and that is former House Speaker Taylor Barrah, who is going to be commissioner of, of administration. And that that's basically the guy who was in charge of the budget. Okay. So what should we know about him? Well, he's, he's a Republican, but he was once a Democrat. He's a banker by trade. He's now the assessor in Iberia Parish. And um, a little bit about his background. He was the Speaker of the House during John Bell Edwards' first term. Uh, it was kind of a surprise choice. He was the compromise, if you'll remember, when John Bell Edwards supported a Democrat and then there was a more conservative Republican. So he's the one who kind of got in. And and during those four years, they were really dominated by this prolonged budget fight over how to dig the state out of the $2 billion ditch that they had all inherited. Mm-hmm. On his on Barra's watch, lawmakers passed a temporary sales tax and that tax will cycle off in 2025. So he's going to find himself in pretty familiar territory, I think. You know, one interesting note is that he worked very closely with Cameron Henry of Metairie, who was in the House then. He's now in the Senate, and he's already been basically chosen to be the Senate president. So, and, you know, was really a thorn in the side of John Bell Edwards on those fiscal issues in that first term. So, you know, I think they'll ver- be, all be very much on Team Landry this time. One Landry move that's gotten a a lot of attention is his appointment of a transition council specifically focused on New Orleans. This hasn't been entirely well received in the Crescent City. Why is that? Well, you know, Landry, Landry ran a somewhat adversarial campaign towards the city, kind of using the crime problem as something of a target and maybe a dog whistle to conservative voters elsewhere. And, you know, over the course of his career, he's been at odds with many uh, people in the city on social issues, such as abortion and LGBT rights, things like that. And, you know, the committee itself has raised some hackles. It's, you know, largely white and male. The city is obviously majority black. It's about split on party. Um, A number of members don't live in the city. And there's nobody from city government. That's kind of the big thing. Uh, Somebody who is on the committee, though, is... Former DA Leon Canizero, who now works for Landry um, and is basically an ideological adversary to our current DA, Jason Williams, who is a you know a progressive DA. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's one thing people are watching. The sheriff of Jefferson Parish, Joe Lapinto, is on, but nobody who works in uh, criminal justice in the city. The city's lobbyist, but he's got other clients. And you know, one name that Latoya Cantrell surely noticed is the guy who was the major funder of the recall petition against her. So that kind of comes off as a bit of a statement appointment. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people who are not who were not Landry people coming in. One is Royce Duplessis, who's a state senator, who is a Democrat and and you know was not a Landry supporter and kind of explained to his constituents, put out a statement saying, "This doesn't mean I'm on." You know, I agree with Jeff Landry on. 
things I, I largely don't, but we're going to work with him mm-hmm. and, you know, we're going to try to have influence. And that really is how uh, Latoya Cantrell, Oliver Thomas and the city council, others are talking about this, that, you know, this does not have to be adversarial, even though there's kind of a veneer, a hint of it in the air. Are there potential areas of agreement? Well, sure there are. Um, Look, everybody wants to do a better job fighting crime. And if that can be done in a cooperative way, as opposed to turning into kind of a battle of jurisdictions, then, you know, that that can only be a good thing. And the mayor has actually pointed out something interesting that both she and Landry are on record as wanting New Orleans to get out of that federal consent decree, Um, although for different reasons. LaToya Cantrell basically says it's very expensive for the city to be in it. Mm -hmm. And they've, you know, kind of met the the civil rights goals. Uh, Jeff Landry is, you know, it's a more ideological approach. He basically says these consent decrees are federal overreach. So that is a potential area of commonality. Mm -hmm. That said, they apparently have not spoken yet. Well, I know we'll be talking more about this. Stephanie Grace, the editorial director and columnist for the Times-Picayune and The Advocate, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. At Catholic masses across the New Orleans metro area last month, parishioners heard in a letter from Archbishop Gregory Amond that multiple churches in the region are set to close down or consolidate. While this announcement came roughly a year after a council was established to evaluate struggling churches, the idea that one of the nation's oldest Catholic cities will lose or merge roughly 10% of its 111 parishes was met with shock and sadness by many parishioners. Stephanie Regal has been covering this story for the Times-Picayune, The Advocate, and joins us now for more. Stephanie, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Can you start by telling us the main reasons for all of these closures and consolidations? What did the archbishop have to say? Well, the archbishop said, and and it was reiterated by other officials from the archdiocese that I talked to last week, look, I mean, this is a process that, as you recall, began before Hurricane Katrina in 2000 when this church began downsizing. It was greatly accelerated after Hurricane Katrina when the archdiocese closed 27 parishes. And and now, again, we are going to be closing or losing 13 parishes, which are going to be merging. And so this is a result of several things. I mean, on paper, There are more Catholics in the country today than there were in 1965, a significant number more. However, people don't go to church nearly Mm -hmm. as much anymore. There aren't as many Catholics sending their children to Catholic school. They don't participate in the sacraments like baptisms or confirmations or first communions or weddings. And, And in this city, you have a lot of real estate, a lot of old big, aging, expensive-to-maintain churches with Mm -hmm. deferred maintenance and a lot of empty pews. And it's more than the church needs. It's more than the church can really afford to operate. At the moment, the archdiocese as a whole is able to keep them open, but a lot of these churches are, a lot of these parishes individually are losing money. Mm -hmm. And and long-term, This is just a strategy to downsize the footprint and to consolidate and merge parishes in places where it makes sense. Which of these churches exactly will close? Which will consolidate? There are 13 parishes that are going to be sort of whittled down to five 
new parishes. You've got Our Lady of the Angels in Wagaman merging with St. Bonaventure and Avondale. They're going to create a new parish with a new name. St. Gertrude and Des Almond will merge with St. John the Baptist in parody, and they will have a new name and be located in the current St. John the Baptist Church. St. John Bosco and St. Rosalie, both in Harvey, will merge. St. Mary of the Angels and Our Lady Star of the Sea, sort of in the St. Rock area in New Orleans, will merge. And then in Gentilly, you have Transfiguration of the Lord, which interestingly is already a combined parish of three churches that merged after Katrina. Mm -hmm. We'll be merging with St. James Major and St. Gabriel. That's all in Gentilly. They're all going to merge and be located in one of those three churches. They haven't decided which yet. Then there were two other parishes that are going to sort of be absorbed into neighboring parishes, St. Teresa of Avila in the Lower Garden District and St. Hubert in Garyville, and will sort of be taken over by existing parishes and will be no more. Is there a timetable for the closures and the mergers? Was that revealed? Pretty much July 1st for all of them. Mm -hmm. So in about six months, the archdiocese began looking at this I mean, long-term like I said, big picture several, a couple of decades ago, but more recently, they began looking at this a couple of years ago. They brought in a consulting firm called the Catholic Leadership Institute that has done this kind of work around the country. Um, and they came in and they worked with parishes here in New Orleans. Those parishes had sort of been identified based on an annual survey that they turn in and submit to the diocese, look going over their numbers, not just how much money they bring in every week with the collections, but the levels of participation, whether there's a school, how many baptisms and mm -hmm. first communions there are, whether there's a huge deferred maintenance bill or a million dollar air conditioning system that needs to be replaced, you know, how many people go to mass, the whole picture. The ones that had several red flags uh, were were sort of called in to meet with the archbishop and were told that they had a certain amount of time, basically the, the better part of 2023, to try to come up with a plan to see if there was a way they could turn things around. Mm -hmm. A couple of the parishes were successful. The other 13 that I mentioned a minute ago, for a lot of them, they kind of almost knew that, that it was too little too late. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, for better or worse, this happened at the same time the Archbishop sent a letter asking parishioners to help cover the rising costs of abuse claims. This was after telling the courts the Archdiocese administration would bear the costs. How was that received? Did parishioners step up to ask, or were they hesitant to bear the burden of something like this? You know, these two issues are very much interrelated, and yet they are, they are separate to an extent. With respect to your point about what the archdiocese initially said in the bankruptcy, when the case was filed in May of 2020, there were something like 30 lawsuits mm -hmm. alleging clergy sex abuse, you know, against children. Since then, there have been 500 or so claims filed in this case. So you've gone from something that maybe the archdiocese legitimately thought they could manage to something that is going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. More recently, when the archdiocese told the parishioners that they were going to have to help pay, I don't think he was meaning specifically that he was going after their tuition money 
or that they necessarily had to feel obligated to put more money in the collection basket. But I think he was preparing them for the sale of real estate assets. Basically downsizing parishes with facilities or property they may no longer need exactly. or use. Exactly. The church mm -hmm. has a tremendous amount of real estate. It's one of the biggest property owners in, in New Orleans. Just to give you an example, in court records, you know, they only list their real estate assets as 122 million, but in insurance documents that have been filed in connection with the bankruptcy, they list the replacement value of all the church assets as over 2.1 billion. You know, this is a Catholic city, and especially older Catholics are very, very sad. It's, you know, it's not just a, a faith thing, but it's a community thing. You know, I talked to some parishioners who engaged with the consultants in the planning process, mm -hmm. and some of them felt a little bit misled, like they really thought they might have had a better shot at being able to keep their parish open. And they kind of felt like the archdiocese maybe had a preordained or conclusion and already knew they were going to shut them down and just walked them through this exercise. Mm -hmm. The archdiocese said that wasn't the case. Other parishioners said, look, it was a fair planning process and we we can look around and see the empty pews. You know, we don't need anybody to tell us that we're struggling mm -hmm. and we want to work on on trying to fix it. When you talk to the people about their response to the bankruptcy and whether they think it's fair that they should have to pay up, you get a, a, a much broader range, I think, of emotions, people who have left the church over it to those who are just heartbroken over it and say, look, it hasn't affected my faith, but it's affected the way I feel about the institution. And then there are others who say, we just need to, to come up with a way to pay these claims and move forward. Stephanie Regal, reporter for the Times-Picayune, The Advocate. Thank you for your time. Thank you. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. Hi, I'm Bob Pavlovich. In October, the Louisiana French news outlet, Tele Louisiane, officially launched a French-language newspaper, Le Louisianais. But this paper, which offers print stories focused on the state's French and Creole communities, is just one of Tele Louisiane's latest endeavors. They're also airing their second season of La Vaille, launching an animated show and recently held an assembly of Louisiana culture activists. For more on all of these exciting projects, Louisiana Considered's managing producer, Alana Schreiber, spoke with Tele Louisiane's co-founders, CEO Will McGrew and Chief Creative Officer Drake LeBlanc. Can you start just by telling us about the launch of this newspaper, Le Louisiane? How did you come up with this idea? Well, so this is an idea we had jointly with our uh, chief correspondent and editor-in-chief for um, Televisian and Le Louisiane, Jonathan Olivier, who we had hired in January to start what we had called our Journal of Televisian. Um, and it was hosted on Televisian's website, but it got a lot of positive feedback. And so we realized that in addition to the video journalism work we've been doing both digitally and then also on LPB, there was an interest in written journalism in French. And so Jonathan really kind of pitched us on the idea of spinning it off as a separate sister publication. We got in touch with this Canadian um, network of local journalists, journalism outlets um, called Réseau Presse. And so they helped us with the website construction and kind of setting our journalistic standards and all that. And then 
he hired some freelancers this summer. And then, yeah, the rest is history. And basically the name is recuperating one of the old um, Louisiana French uh, newspapers that was published until like the 1930s or 1940s. And so it means like the Louisiana and the Louisiana name. And, and just to add like a few different topics that we that have been covered thus far is um we had done, Jonathan had done an introduction to Louisiana French. And so we that got a lot of feedback. And so then we hired Cliff Saint Laurent who's a Louisiana Creole expert to do a little introduction to like what is Louisiana Creole and was published in both English and Creole. And then Megan Broussard, who's a freelancer, she's based out of New York, but she's from Louisiana. She just talked a little bit about her personal connection with rediscovering what it means to be Cajun and Louisianan. And then another example, I guess, is one that was published this past week with Halloween was um, a deep dive into Le Rougarou and like that folktale and what that means for, for people across Louisiana. Sounds great. Well, let's discuss some of your other projects. Last year, Will, we spoke with you about the launch of La Vie, a weekly 15-minute news magazine that actually translates to the front porch, which I love. And now you're on season two. So what can we expect from these new episodes? This is Drake speaking. You know, we try our best to listen to the community and we got a lot, a lot, a lot of feedback online and just from people in passing about um, things that they really appreciated about season one of La Vie from last year and also things that they would like to see represented more. And so I feel like we really like hammered that in on the second season of making sure that everybody feels included. We did a story on Pointe Coupe Creoles, which was really cool because they speak Creole language all, all the way up there in Pointe Coupe. The premiere was on Ecole Pointe Chant, which is a known story for your audience and also our audience. Um, we did a story on shrimping and we just did a story last week on the new French consul and the role of the French consulate. And then what's to come is um, we have some festivals, the French Food Festival in the Rose, and then the Omelette Festival in Abbeville, and then the finale will be focused on the Savoie family Cajun band and how they pass the language and culture on yeah. between generations. Oh, I have seen them in concert. <laughs> we are speaking with Drake LeBlanc and Will McGrew, co-founders of Tele Louisiane. You also have an animated series out. Tell us about that. I mean, that's been an idea and a, a project in a Telelu wheelhouse since really like the first early on years of Telelu. Um, it was just really hard to um, acquire the, the additional funding that we needed to make it something that was consistent and sustainable. But now, thanks to a lot of um, community investment and also public investment from our state officials that like we're able to kick off and do a season two of like this awesome animation series that originally was meant for kids. But, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, like, I've been stopped by, like, full-grown adults and I'm like, man, like, I sit down and watch Boudini, like, with my kids because it's awesome. And, yeah. and shout out to the Creole Cartoon Company that we partnered with to make that happen. Yeah, that's Marshall Woodworth and Philippe Biodo. And we, we've worked with them since the beginning on season one. That's It's now – so season one is um, online. But what's new is that – There'll be now the show, both season one and then season two, which is launching in January, will be aired statewide on LPB. And we're figuring out what time. And so stay tuned on television. We'll tell you what time. But that'll be new. Uh, LPB's had for a while um, Canadian French cartoons. And so now for the first time, we'll be having Louisiana French cartoons. In late September, you held L'Assemblée de la Louisiane, which seemed to be a gathering of Louisiana culture activists. I love that term, number one. So can you tell me more about what you think that term means and what was this assembly all about? L'Assemblée is something that we've been thinking about and working on, you know, definitely with many more people than than just the people that are involved in Louisiana. And the idea is um, a coalition, creating a coalition of individuals 
and organizations, so Televisien, but also other organizations, some of the indigenous tribes, organizations like Creole Inc., to work together um, to defend and develop what we have in common. So specifically uh, culture and language, but also some of the other issues like coastal restoration and economic development in um, rural communities, but also disenfranchised urban, urban areas. Well, we have talked a bunch about all of the exciting things that you have planned, but I know that so much of your work involves connecting with people and telling their stories. So before we go, I'm wondering if each of you can kind of share a moment that's really stuck out to you during your work in preserving Louisiana French culture. Any particular conversations or events that you really take with you and remember? Honestly, there's so many. I mean, I express it all the time as often as as I can of how thankful I am to be able to do this type of work and to be able to sustain myself off of it. There was a community talk in Lafayette um, a week or two ago at this arts collective. And there was this lady who, I mean, was, you know, I'm safe to say 65 plus and was like retired and um, used to be very, very active in the community and just trying to strengthen cultural activities and support within Lafayette, like in the Southwest Louisiana community. And she was like, yeah, you know, people used to speak French all the time and there used to be French shows and da 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 this and there used to be French programming and now there's none of that no more. And I'm like sitting in this community to talk and my friends are sitting next to me laughing because I'm like clenching my heart because I'm trying to do the respectful like arts talk thing where, you know, you let everybody say their piece, like you don't mm-hmm. interject until like, you know, until there's like a, a, a polite moment to do it. And then afterwards I was like, hey... <laughs> And she You're also like, hey, said, have you heard of Tele Louisiana? <laughs> yeah, and she exactly. also she also said something. I, I I'm not gonna quote it properly, but she said something along the lines of like, I'm ready to like throw in a towel. She was like, I'm like, she's like, I'm going inside now. She's like, what? Why did? Why would I keep fighting this fight at my age when I spent all these decades doing it, whatever? And I was like, oh, love. I was like, I was like, don't throw in the towel just yet. I was like, mm-hmm. little did you know that like we're on like year two, like season two of like our French programming on TV for the first time in, in 30 years. And I just thought it's really enlightening to to see those things. And it helps me wake up, I guess, and fight the good fight. Yeah. Two stories that really come up are like, one, um, we work a lot with the Pointe Shen tribe. And I'm on the board of the Pointe Shen school, the French Immersion School. Um, and so we're big fans of them. But one thing that comes up is like three days after Hurricane Ida, it was still hard to access Pointe Shen. And we pulled up at like Teresa Dardar's house with some supplies and you know, she she had like was really like letting her hair down with us, and it was just a little bit of vulnerability where not only were she knew that we're like story knew that we were storytellers, but she kind of had that trust with us where she was able to like let us in in that way. Um, and I think that was something that will mark Drake and I forever. And the second thing is something that happened more recently is at one of the assemblée meetings we had gotten together. We had gotten a lot of young people involved, and one of the young people, Courtney Campo from Pierre Part, she said. You know, before I was invited to this Assemblée meeting, I was about like 80%, I'm going to move to France, like I'm over Louisiana, whatever. But now at the Assemblée, after launching Assemblée and learning about Louisiana and learning about all these other organizations that are happening, I'm down to like 30% move to France and 70% <laughs> stay in Louisiana. And that's what we're really all about is like giving people that confidence, love and happiness about staying here. This has been Drake LeBlanc and Will McGrew, co-founders of Tele Louisiane. Thank you both for being here. Merci. Bien, merci à toi. Merci. C'était bon. À la prochaine. À la prochaine. <laughs> From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. Thanks to our guests, 
Times-Picayune, the Advocate's editorial director and columnist, Stephanie Grace, reporter Stephanie Regal, and the co-founders of Tele Louisiane, Drake LeBlanc, and Will McGrew. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our assistant producer, Aubrey Brossel. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at Rouse's.com with additional support from Southern Strategy Group.